everybody. Welcome to the May Lymphedema Patient Roundtable hosted by LymphaPress. I am your host, Alexa Ercolano. I'm the Marketing and Communications Associate here at LymphaPress, and I'm also a primary lymphedema patient. Um, we are so excited you're here with us tonight. Everybody tuning in as you're logging on, just let us know where you are, where you're, where you're tuning in from in the chat. And in the meantime, I'm going to introduce our lovely panel tonight. So we have from my top, Katherine Rosenberg, who is a secondary lymphedema patient. She's an amazing advocate for the community and she is a math teacher. So I always like to say any math problems, she's your gal. We've got Kelly Bell, who's the veteran fighting lymphedema. He is another fantastic advocate for the cause and he's got some exciting stuff to share with us tonight as well. We have Angela Jones, lipolymphedema patient and health coach. Hi, Angela. Hello. We have Amanda Sobe, lymphedema patient, certified personal trainer and nutritionist, and president and professional advisory chair of the Lymphedema Association of Manitoba. Hi, Amanda. And we have a very special guest with us tonight, a name you all might recognize from the chat. Fenton Groff is joining us on the other side of our virtual table tonight. Fenton, how are you doing? It's good to see your face. Hello. Can everybody hear me? We can hear you. Thumbs up. Awesome. I'm, I'm here. So good to see you. Now, is everyone able to? I don't see anything going. Oh, there we go. Tina in the chat said, hey, Fenton. Fenton's on the big screen. Okay, so as we get going, um, I want to remind everybody to pop your questions in the Q&A box. We also have the chat box here, too, to let you know your thoughts and, and uh, chiming in in the conversation. Gentle reminder that we cannot give you personal medical advice. So um, and our, our resident therapist, Karen Ashworth, is not here yet, so hopefully she'll come in at some point, but we like to defer to her for any medical questions. But since it's Mental Health Awareness Month this month, we kind of wanted to focus on the topic of mental and emotional well-being this evening. So that's gonna be a, a big topic tonight. Um, Leila says, hello from Southern New Jersey. Tina said, nice to see you. The one and only talking about you, Fenton. I think Fenton's gonna steal the, the show tonight. I get a feeling already. Hi from Kim mm -hmm. and Callie. So good to see all these familiar names in the chat tonight and in the attendee list. So let's get started. Um, I am gonna put Fenton from Trenton on the spot since everybody wants to hear from you. You wanna share a little bit about your story and also you've got so much wit and insight that you share in chat every month with us, uh, especially about mental health and how you kind of stay positive living with lymphedema. We'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Well, thank you for... Uh for uh, lifting me up there. So I'll see you guys, see you guys later. Bye. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, seriously, thank you for welcoming me uh, as, a, as a panelist because I've been on the other side for so long and you guys are just terrific. So I just want to give a shout out. Thanks to all you guys that are already on the panel and uh, you're a great support to me. So I, I use this every month as support because I used to go to a, a local support group, but it kind of fizzled out and I'm hoping... Soon we can start another local support, lymphedema support group in this area where I live, which is Ventnor City, New Jersey. Um, I say I'm Fenton from Trenton because that rhymes, but uh, I'm really from the Atlantic City area in a little city called Ventnor City. So as you can see behind me, though, I don't know how good the camera is, but that the casinos are behind me. 
I don't know how good the camera is, but that's where I'm at. So if you ever played Monopoly, uh, the game of Monopoly, all those original places are right around this area. So I live, I live about four blocks from Marvin Gardens. Remember the, oh, yeah. the, the yellow <laughs> on the Monopoly board? That's where I live, right? In Marvin Gardens, just about. That's so. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So, and the positivity for me is, is really, um, like you said, having uh, a, a, a good um, outlook on life and, um, you know, I have to give it up to, you know, I have a Christian faith. That is the one thing that really sustains me, but also my support friends and my family and also this group as well support me um, through this. And I was diagnosed with lymphedema when I was nine years old. I'm 56 years old right now. And I was diagnosed at CHOP Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in 1976. And it was my left leg that was starting to get bigger. And uh, my sister, I have a sister and two brothers who do not have any issues with their lymphatic system, lower lymphatic or even upper lymphatic. Um, but I did. So we did not know what it was, but a doctor in Philadelphia uh, diagnosed me with what's called Milroy disease. So um, uh, just last October, I went up to a symposium and uh, Kelly Bell was up there with me as well. And some, uh, of course, Alexa as well, and some other advocates and names I'll probably forget. But um, I learned that my condition, which is secondary lymphedema, is much rarer than primary lymphedema. My, my uh, lymphedema is much rarer than secondary lymphedema. And um, I'm, I'm also an advocate for the Lymphedema Treatment Act. I don't know if we, we talked about last week that uh, we passed the bill in Congress. And uh, me and my friend Leela were actually heading down there uh, to, uh, to be part of that celebration in the end of this month. So I don't know who else has gone down there, but it's such an awesome bill that we passed to help with the support garments. But with that said, I learned something so, so awesome not awesome, I should say, for lack of a better word, but again, my, my condition is, is more rare than secondary lymphedema. The statistic that was given to me was um, there is three, 332 million people in the United States of America right now. That number fluctuates. One out of every 100 people have some kind of secondary lymphatic disorder. One out of 100. So that means there's over 3.4 million people with secondary lymphedema. Now, the statistic that I learned about in Rhode Island, and this, this statistic from, comes from LEARN, the, the education network that's, that's also out there. Uh, prime, my condition is part of one out of 100,000 Americans. So that means in the United States today, with 3.4 million people, 333, I'm sorry, 340 million people, only 3,000, about 3,402 people have primary lymphedema, 3,000 people. And I, I, I put two on the end because I wanted to add myself and my daughter. I don't know if you can see that picture, but that's my daughter, Abby. She also was diagnosed with primary lymphedema. So it's a genetic issue because it has not uh, missed a generation in my family for four generations. And since Mother's Day is coming up, 
There's my mom. Aww. She actually, she actually had it in her right leg. That's in Vermont, by the way. Adirac, Adirac on Lake Champlain. Beautiful picture. So, forgive me for my props, but um, uh, she had swelling in her right leg before I was even born. But my siblings did not get the lymphedema problem. That's genetic. And uh, I, I am uh, the next couple of weeks. I'm actually going to be getting genetically tested. So I'm going to find out exactly what gene is affected in my in, in, in my my body. So I'm really interested in finding more about that. I also have a fellow friend, and you probably know her from Ninjas with Lymphedema. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but her name is Amy Rivera. She also was diagnosed with Milroy disease, same as me. She has a, a leg almost the same size as mine, but only one leg. Unfortunately, I, I actually got lymphedema in both legs. It started out with one leg, but then it went to both. But, but uh, she, she actually got the surgery done, the SAPL surgery, the suction-assisted uh, protein lipectomy, which is they remove the, um, the, 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 the fatty tissue that builds up, the, the keratosis and the fibrotic tissue that's uh, built up in the leg, and they remove that. And just similar to Catherine, she had similar surgery, and and I don't know if anybody else on the panel got that type of surgery done, but uh, um, I'm sure I'll be corrected. But but um, it, it's something I've I've been looking into, but it's still in the future for me. I still have to do other things before that. So as an in introduction for me, uh, I'm a I'm a professional radiographer. I've been in the radiology world for 20 years, so I am a professional healthcare worker work with doctors and nurses. So happy nurses week this week too. And as, as well as happy mother's day. Uh, but unfortunately uh, I'm now on temporary disability because of my, my, my uh, severity of phase um, considered phase three lymphedema in my lower extremities. So it's hard for me to, I can still walk, but it's hard for me to walk long distances and, and to climb stairs and things like that. So uh, I struggle. Uh, it's, it's definitely a progressive disease. And as we get older, we have to do more and more things to, to find those small victories. Remember the small victories. So, so that's really my, my motto. I might've stole it from this, this panel is small victories because, um, like today I got wrapped, I got my legs wrapped and massaged and, and I'm looking into better nutrition for myself. And also I just joined, I just joined, uh, swimming. So I'm swimming now in the pool at the, our life center and um, just trying to do everything I can to help myself out, you know, but, but there's no cure yet. There's no cure. And I, uh, I'm also working on an MRI to check out my ab abdominal obstructions because uh, Kelly Bell is awesome in telling me about that. And, um, and also my own doctor, he wants me to check it out. So my own doctor wants me to check it out. So I'm going to go down that route just to rule things out. So um, for positivity's sake, it is so if you have this problem, the best thing to do is just to keep trying, try to keep working at it because everybody's different. Everybody handles things differently. Um, last year, I was very fortunate enough to go to Austria. I went to the Whitlinger Clinic in Austria and spent three weeks doing physical therapy, wrapping, exercise, nutrition, and almost everything you can imagine to get done, except for coming back with normal legs. <laughs> so, 
So I, I did that and I found out a lot of uh, interesting ways to treat yourself and how to, to eat properly. And God knows I don't eat the way I did in Germany, but they served your meals every single day and they didn't allow you to have extra things. So it's kind of like I needed that. I needed that discipline. So that's something I'm, I'm learning for myself. And as we know, it's not easy. It's easier said than done. But as we know on this panel right now, there's no cure for lymphedema and all we can do is try to find the things that are available to us to treat our condition. And, and it's personal for everybody. If you have secondary lymphedema, your doctor, your therapist is going to tell you something differently than they might tell me. If you have upper um, lymphedema in your arms, your arm, your arms gonna, are going to have a different treatment than obviously the legs will. So for me, I've been learning all these years and how to not only treat myself, but if I see someone else have an issue, I can support them. I can talk to them. And um, I have a story, if I ha have a chance here briefly, is a friend of mine, a beautiful young woman, she, she uh, in her 30s and she had a second child. And unfortunately, she had complications during birth and they removed some of the groin lymphatics. And I went to rehabilitation this couple of years ago before COVID and uh, her legs were swelling and I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what are you doing here? You know? And she says, I could see in her face, her face was just like destroyed because of, you know, having this condition that there is no cure for. And now she's getting wrapped just like me and massage. And I felt so horrible for her because I know that this is such hard thing to go through for all of us, no matter what level of lymphedemia you have. So I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm more of a rare bird here than I think everybody here on the panel. I think everybody here on the panel has secondary lymphedema, if I'm right or wrong. So mine is something that I genetically got. It's, 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 they originally called it congenital lymphedema, but now the proper term is primary lymphedema. So, uh, uh, like I mentioned, I got two two grown children. My daughter's my oldest. She's 28. She has lymphedema. My son, Adam, he's in the Marines. Hoorah! He's 23. Uh, good legs. Uh, belt built well. He handled the boot camp. So <laughs> I am so proud of him. And he's also the father of my 11-month-old grandchild. So I'm a grandpa, too. So uh, I think that's it for now. <laughs> Hopefully I didn't talk too much, but uh, if you ask other questions, I will answer. Thank you so much, Ben. It's really nice to get to know more of your story because we see you in our chat all the time, month after month, and it's nice to kind of get to know the man behind the quips in our chat that we enjoy so much. So we thank you. I have some for later, so I'm just sure let me know if you, you want them, all right? <laughs> I, got, I got some from Mark Twain and from Dr. Seuss. Oh, great. Right? Well, we'll save those. For later. And um, before we continue, too, I just wanted to introduce Nazarene Starner, who popped in. She is a certified lymphedema therapist in Cleveland, and we're so glad she's here tonight. Hi, Nazarene. Hi. We're, we're talking mental health because Mental Health Awareness Month uh, in May. So um, Fenton was sharing his story. Um, and it's so interesting. I'm always fascinated by people who have family members with lymphedema because I imagine that adds such a unique level of support because that's someone close to you who gets it. Like it's so hard to explain mm -hmm. lymphedema 
to anyone else. I mentioned this before. I have a twin sister. She does not have lymphedema. And even though she is my closest confidant on everything, she will never understand, you know, what it's like to live with this. So people like you, Fenton and um, Veronica Sanirez, who was here a few months ago too, she's a, a family, you know, she's got lymphedema in her family too. It, it does add this layer of of support that's very unique. It's a unique dynamic. Um, so it's kind of a, it's unfortunate that you all, you know, have to live with that, but at the same time, at least you have that together to kind of learn from each other and, and lean on each other. So I think that can be a, a beautiful thing sometimes in the midst of all of the, the discord that lymphedema can bring. <laughs> um, Kelly, you have shared extensively about your mental health experiences and you've been very candid about that. Um, and you are also such a fierce advocate in, in light of everything you deal with, you put others first constantly too, which is so admirable. Um, would you, can I put you on the spot to talk a little bit about whatever your heart desires on the topic, if you feel so moved or I can put someone else I mean, on the spot. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I was lately uh, looking, excuse me, <laughs> looking at some of the comments and I like Tina Kunkel's. Mm -hmm. hopefully I pronounced your name right when she said like you know it's hard to keep good when lymphedema is up and down and trust me that is 18 years of my life and Fenton's been doing it his whole life like and so Catherine like since she was eight like and so it is and so recently I think a few weeks few few meetings ago I brought up like when I went to the conference where I met Fenton in person um, when I was on the week, when I got home, I developed swelling in the back of my head, and that swelling was uh, became uh, apparent that it wasn't just external; it was actually internal, and it was my lymphatics were swelling. The CT proved that, and then MRI showed some other issues going on. And so here I am, like I'm thinking I've got going to have control over this, and I didn't. I lost it again, and I'm like, oh. So it's real easy to get in the dumps like during those times and you like in there's certain steps that you like like um you know it's easy just to follow that rabbit hole down and say I'm just I'm done right but what you have to understand like there's the groups of us around there's people like and I learn from every time I have one of these someone says something I learn something um and so I think if anything you learn from this talk after we're done today is don't give up because uh I wasn't at the last round table because that day at six o'clock, that's the issue that's going on in my head is not like the brain fog you get. It basically shuts me down and um, I can't think. And then trying to think, it's not like you like I can't think, it's painful to think during that process. I mean, I want to have a fluid running down that, my face and stuff. And so when it starts playing with your head, things get a little more serious. And if anybody knows me, I'm like, at that point in time, I'm like connected with everybody, have all these massive dreams of what I want to do. And my lymphedema says, guess what, Kelly, it's time to take care of you. And so literally I shut down. I literally had to pull back. And so I think it's hard when you're in a position where people are reaching out saying, hey, I need your help. And to say, hey, I can't do that. Like, And so that's, you have to understand. And I, that's what I'm telling you. There's times to make yourself the priority. Um, during these times, I've spent a lot of time doing research, as you guys know, and I went back to something that I shouldn't have gotten away from, but it's like, you know, what's the damage in my lymphatics? What nutrients am I not getting? And um, believe it or not, the answers were actually presented 
when um, NIH did a presentation last September and they're yet to be charted. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to break those videos down and explain to you nutrients. As you guys have heard me say, my pump helps feed me. That's not an exaggeration. So I thought when I say things like that, people look at me like, what? So I'm going to explain that with science, but it really is. And so what I did was after what happened last month, actually I planned what I was going to do. I said, these are supplements. I had a load of supplements that I realized that I could pop that may help. And so I quit everything. I stepped back, not from this, but even all my treatments, because I learned all these tweakings I was trying to do, like, and all the input that was giving to me, people were trying to help. And I'm like, like, there's too much going on. And I started from basics. And so starting with food, food, if you have a central lymphatic issue, like I do, food is your issue. It, it will cause you to swell. Um, trying to figure out what I need to eat. Like you guys know, I was, I was keto. I'm not keto. I'm low carb for sure. Cause I still can't eat carbs. I don't understand that. Um, but I've modified my diet. I've modified supplements. Um, I'll create videos for that. But like, these are times when like having communities like these, like I've seen all you guys, like knowing that if I needed to, I could email Nazarene and say, Nazarene, like, hey, what's going on? Like, I need your help. And so that's why we like to come to these tables like this, because I think all of us on here have had this for years before things like this were happening. And like, you never had a place to talk about it. I mean, Fenton gets on her and you can't get him to shut up. So <laughs> I got that's more. A good thing. That's the good thing. We're all, I mean, there's people here. So don't get down. Just take a different stance. There's always people trying to help. The medical community is always presenting stuff. They're always like, it's a, and it's a small community. And so um, progress is being made in a small community. Uh, that's why, I mean, I look at these big walks with cancer, like breast cancer, and I'm like, where's the big walks for lymphatic stuff? I mean, like, so like, that's why I always say, like Fenton's doing the Lymphedema Treatment Act. I, I did a few of those in DC always writing letters and anytime I was talking to senators and congressmen it always got presented so it's nice to get those things passed and to get them moving forward that's st still needs to happen but um, just engage like engage people because it really does help your mental health and then when you need to step back no matter what you got going on because um, it can be life draining and like these are these can like lymphatic issues people say you can't die from it you absolutely can you can't because mm -hmm. a lot of issues are lymphatic issues. A lot of the GI, a lot of the organ failure issues are lymphatic dysfunction issues. Who's it? You guys, Lymphopress had a presenter, a cardiologist from Texas, Dr. Philip Houck, who presented. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, he's coming tomorrow. See, yep. I'm telling you, this guy, yep. I'm telling you, you have a card because he says he actually presented a paper why we fell at congestive heart failure. We don't consider lymphatics. So, I mean, and all the research is there. And if you understand how medical and research, there's usually a 20 year gap. That gap gets pushed closer the more patients keep trying to like allow the current people who are working in these professions to get access to that. I mean, it really does take our energy, our support, our encouragement to say, hey, <laughs> we're here. Let us know what you need to help. So that's my two cents. I like your two cents. That's more like 20 bucks worth, more than two cents, Kelly. Yeah. 
We so appreciate it every time. And we have some great, I'm going to go to you real quick, Amanda, but first I want to um, read some of the comments we're getting in chat. In the meantime, um, MJ Tolis, who's one of our frequent attendees, we're so glad you're here. She says, I'm 72 and have been managing primary bilateral lymphedema since I was in grade school. Such a challenge and really appreciate this group so much for the support you generously give through this community. She clarified she's primary bilateral lower limb lymphedema and more recently lipedema. And Tina Kunkel, who's another person who's always here and we love seeing her pop up in the chat. She says, it is like a roller coaster ride. You travel the road when and when and it is calm, easygoing, then the road gets rough, time to take care of yourself. Remember there's no would haves, no could have, no wishes, et cetera, which is hard to remember when the road of life gets rough. She says she sees a therapist every two weeks, which helps, which I'm such an advocate for therapy too. I have that tomorrow actually, and I'm so excited. <laughs> Amanda, you wanna go ahead? Yeah, um, just to touch base on the whole mental health aspect. I don't know how much of my story is known out there, but um, I was diagnosed with depression very bad in 2018. Um, and I still have bouts of it now. But uh, anyways, through my research, I found scientific evidence that does prove that people with inflammatory responses in their body are actually more prone to mental health issues. So I was really excited to hear this when I was doing my research because I just thought I had given up and I was feeling sorry for myself. You know, like after you keep trying and failing and trying and failing and trying some more and failing some more, I just thought I was just taking a pity party. And then when I had read that, you know, uh, people that do struggle with inflammation, and this could be in various different forms, you're more prone to mental health issues. And it actually makes sense uh, due to like the science and the brain and just the inflammatory responses that are happening inside. So I think too, um, this piece of information just really helped me separate myself, not to say I didn't allow myself time to, to feel what I was feeling, but this allowed me to just accept the fact that I think also getting into your daily habits, getting into your steps, sometimes, uh, no, most of the times I don't want to do it. I need to do most of the times I don't want to get up and move and swim and train and eat well and go for therapy or put on my compression. But those small wins, every time that you do one good thing, there's a small victory that comes after it. And I think for those people who do struggle with mental health issues, really forming your habits being consistent with your habits and eventually you go weeks, months, years, and you can see that you've made the progress. And don't get me wrong, that mental health would trip you up any point in time in the journey. But I think it's also just really important not to claim it and hold it and, and make it yours. That's all I got for today. That's it. Fenton, back to you. Take away the show. I'm out. No. My God. No, that's a really good point though. I I like the point about uh, making it yours is kind of taking ownership and accountability because mental health, a lot of times it is not our fault. We don't choose it, but it is our responsibility in a lot of ways, just like our lymphedema. So I, I think that's a really cool point, Amanda. Thank you. Catherine. So for me with mental health, I struggled this past year a lot because of the crazy changes that did affect me because of my central lymphatics. Um, however, I will say that Having a support group of support of people such as the people on this roundtable, as well as others to be there when I needed them the most meant the absolute most to me. Um, but one thing for me that I've known that, I, that I've reached that has recently, you know, really come apparent for me is, you know, 
it's important not to try to hide the lymphedema just because, you know, the way you look. I know that's a difficult uh, thought to swallow because of the fact that you feel like it brings attention to you. But if you don't sh like show it or share it, people don't know. And I actually recently have recently, um, I went back to work in December and this year I was very skeptical about it. And I'm not normally very skeptical. I'm all about my bright colors. I'm all about, you know, and this year it was a, I'm going to hide my lymphedema because I had a lot of stuff going on and I wasn't there in the beginning of the school year for my kids to see it from the very beginning and I didn't know how they were going to react. So it was very different for me. And I did have to talk to a couple of them before I did it. And they now have come to me and go, well, what color are you wearing tomorrow? Like, they're kind of like getting excited about the fact that they can help me pick which color to wear the next day. So of course I have to match it somehow because I can't wear bright green with like an orange shirt, obviously. Um, but my point is, is sometimes you'll be surprised at what somebody when somebody finds out what's actually happening why you do certain things that they will respond in a way that you would be completely shocked by and at the same time it helps you come out of your shell Absolutely. and be you and being you is the most important thing you can't worry what other people have to say because you need to live your life and the way you want to live it, not being controlled by others just because of a comment they may say that you don't realize the interpretation of. Yeah, I can't tell you how long I, I went without wearing my garments because I was so afraid of people seeing it or thinking whatever they may think about it. And I'm the only one that suffered for it. My leg got fibrotic because I wasn't wearing my garments just because I was scared of what other people thought. So that's such a great point, Catherine. Angela, I saw you raising your hand. Go ahead. Um, I think um, an important factor is that you have to not be ashamed when you need help. Ask for it. For myself, too, not only ask for help, but two other things that I have to pay attention to for my own mental health protection. I tend to be an overthinker and I overanalyze. And then I micromanage the overthinking and the overanalyzation. So you have to be very careful. Don't overthink it. Don't overanalyze it. Just let it be what it is. Speak to it and move on. Yeah, that, that reminds me of something I learned um, in cognitive behavioral therapy, which was to look at your negative thoughts like leaves on a river passing by and you acknowledge it, but you don't pick it up. You don't mess with it. You don't engage with it, but you just see that it's there and you let it float by. And I, I'm a I big mess with her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're pulling out, you've got a net, you're pulling out, yeah. <laughs> pulling out an old shoe or something out of the water along with the leaves. Like a dog with a bone. Yeah. <laughs> can I, can I jump in on that? Cause I'm just like you, Angela. So for me, yeah, I, I would get the fishnet and I'd scoop them all. And then I would regurgitate and regurgitate. So I feel that um, if you catch yourself having one negative thought, it's for me, I was, I'm very analytical. So I was like, well, if I have one negative thought, I'll do two positive thoughts. And I started to train myself that even that if there was something negative, I forced myself to say two nice things. And it's crazy because those negative thought patterns are so much stronger than positive thought patterns. 
So to really retrain and get out of that groove of negativity, it sucks, but it is so valuable and it's true. It really is what you look at, what you focus on. But I found for me to get out of the negativity, to look at the positives that came um, and again, just forcing yourself and eventually those negative thought patterns would minimize because I was always going to the positive as a default, as I got better at practicing the, the one, two method. That's a really good tip. And a lot of times, you know, we hear that mental health is just as important as physical health. And I think that's especially true when living with something like lymphedema, it's so entwined. Nazreen, as a therapist, can you speak a little bit to the way that mental and physical health sort of play off each other? Uh, well, first off, I would say that probably 99% of my patients do have some sort of mental health aspect that's going on. And when you're, when you're feeling a little bit worse, obviously, it's going to weigh on you quite a bit more. So as people are struggling, having difficulty, you know, managing their lymphatic load, or they're having difficulty with that, it's going to really play on them. But a lot of times the patients I'm seeing, either they were misdiagnosed. I, I feel that I hear your stories of everything that all of you have gone through. And this is very common for what I hear from people that, oh, you know, I've had this since I was young. They told me it was this. I saw 50 doctors and then I finally came to see you and you're the first one who's going to do something about it. So by that point, so many of our patients are so overwhelmed um, and upset and have anxiety about their condition. And so that's all. But then a lot of our patients too, who maybe have gone through cancer treatments and they have come out on the other side of that, but now they're left with lymphedema, that, that's got to be, you know, so frustrating for them as well. And they do voice that to us. I would say, um, obviously, when you are having a lot more physical ailments going on, it's just taxing in general to your mental health. Um, I, I know for us as therapists, we try to support as much as possible, but uh, we do have the majority of our patients go on to get a little bit more um, help for our cancer patients. We have that just embedded right away from the start. They do start seeing um, a psychologist or psychiatrist right away. But for my uh, lymphedema patients, I've been trying to get more and more of them to go because I think a lot of them just think, oh, this is something I just have to deal with. My whole family's dealt with it. This is just part of life for me. And they're stronger for it. But at the same time, it's just so much that they feel that a burden they have to carry themselves. So um, I really want to encourage everybody to get help if you need help. Um, and um, you don't have to do it alone. Uh, can I answer the one question that Anita yeah. was asking too? She was Please, asking. You, yeah. Oh gosh, I'm so bad at like looking at things and reading and trying. Surgery? What weight machines are used? Is that the one? The um, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll defer that one to you, but about the surgery one. Oh, yeah. I didn't see that one. Kate, sorry, I have Kate. it pulled up. <laughs> you get the weight machine one, Amanda, 100%. <laughs> um, Anita, um, but, oh, go ahead. I was going to read the no, question. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, Anita had asked, uh, there are some doctors in New Jersey who do some work on people to make new channels to get the lymph back into the body. Is this hokum? The doctors are board certified surgeons. Take it away, Nesri. So, so there has been uh, lymphatic surgeries going on for, you know, for 
for hundreds of years, really. And I think with the invention of technology getting more and more sophisticated, they're able to do these surgeries a lot better, as well as the imaging has been getting a lot more sophisticated too, and technology is just getting better. And there are different types of surgeries. Some are more if you're having more fluid predominant swelling, or if you're having more solid where it's become a little bit more fibrotic or harder, you may be a candidate for different surgeries depending. But I've seen when they've done all these different types of surgeries that when they do the repeat imaging studies afterwards, people are having a lot of, and the big fancy word is lymphangiogenesis, which is this regeneration of that, those lymphatic vessels. So it's pretty cool. I get really excited about it when my patients come back and they're like, after surgery, oh my gosh, I have all these new pathways and all this fluids coming up in different ways. Now, the one thing to keep in mind, though, is that you still have whatever your underlying lymphatic impairment is. So even if they do these surgeries to help with rerouting fluid or kind of getting rid of a lot of the lymphatic load you may have, you still do have that underlying impairment. So you are still going to need to manage with your therapist and what we do or or your program, if you're already managing well at home, what we do in therapy um, is that complete decongestive therapy that I wrote in there. So your therapist can help guide you to come up with a program you're doing at home. And I know there was the question on what weight machine. So I'm going to pass that one over to Amanda because I think she's best suited for that question. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk about muscles. It's the best <laughs> thing. Um, and I think I really want to emphasize because this is what I see all the time is, is that, so you'll go to the, your therapist or you'll go to the doctor and we all understand that there's no pump for the lymphatic system. So everyone's like, Hey, exercise is great. So the first thing somebody seems to always do is just go into the gym and work out crazily. And that is probably the worst thing you could do. Love the energy. I don't love the execution. Um, any exercise is a good exercise if when you enjoy to do it because that consistency over time is your biggest, best asset. So everyone always comes and asks me, what should I do for cardio? And my answer is the one that you love to do. Swimming um, is probably the best thing any of us can do, but bar none is the first thing. But anything past the swimming part, if you don't have access to a pool, then it is any activity. It could be your Zumba, your you're walking, your bike, your cycling, ballet, I don't care what it is. But then for weight machines, it's absolutely critical to have a trainer and to be taught how to use and any exercise in the gym. This could be resistance training, this could be weight training, this could be body weight training with squats, whatever it may be. But you'd want to see a, a, a professional, hint, hint, like myself, there you go, there's my there's my drop. Um, that is very familiar with your lymphatics because just because you move, it doesn't mean it actually targets the muscle and that muscle is imperative to flush the lymphatic system. So it's not necessarily the machine. It's not necessarily the exercise. It's the technique that you're trained on using that's going to be your best bet at reducing that swelling in your body. I hope that makes sense. If you have questions, throw it in the chat or message me on my social and I'd be more than happy to go into further detail about that. Thanks, Amanda. And I know Catherine was raising her hand, but real quick, I wanna read some comments from chat. Leila said, having a support system, therapy, family and friends who are there for you to express your needs, looking at your victories, even small victories are good. 
So true. We love that. And then Tina said, I try to find humor in things. And Lila, you are right. Support system is also good. And Fenton said, even though he's on the panel, deep breathing is an <laughs> awesome way to activate the lymph system, which is true. And we actually have some great webinars um, on our Lympha Press USA YouTube channel with Kathleen Listen about mindfulness and breathing techniques for lymphedema, which I can put in the chat. And then Catherine, you wanted to touch back on the surgery topic. Yes. So Nazreen had mentioned about um, the effect of the surgeries causing the ability to generate uh, new lymphatic channels through lymphangiogenesis. I can actually share a short little story here about me. Um, in 2015, I had a um, lymph, lymph node transfer, um, but while they were doing the surgery, they had checked to see if they can do any lymphovenous anastomosis bypasses. And at that point, they were not, they could not find anything. Now I had the transplant done. Unfortunately, my transplant, my first transplant was not successful. However, it was successful in a very different way. They basically planted the seed for my lymphatics to start to try to regenerate. So in 2018, when I had my second one done, um, they actually had five places that they were able to bypass in my lower calf when three years, no, yeah, three years before they had absolutely none. So I was able to generate lymphatic uh, channels that were um, pretty, quite a distance from where my actual transplant was done. However, even though my initial transplant didn't work, it planted the seeds for the, those vessels to actually take and regenerate. So it does happen. And it definitely is a very unique process because um, it definitely, you can actually start to feel the fluid move in different directions than what you're used to. Um, it, it is, it's always fun when I go to a new therapist and they're like, wait a minute, your vessels don't flow in the way that they're supposed to because of the way that my regeneration happened. So it definitely can happen. And it's always fun for me when they when they go, wait a minute, it's going the wrong way. I'm like, no, it's not. It's going in the right way for me, but you just have to get used to following my path and understanding my pathways instead of thinking right. I'm a textbook case and this is what it is. Cause I'm far from a textbook case. Any of these guys on the panel know that sure. <laughs> if it can find its way out, it's out. <laughs> exactly. You'll probably be in a textbook one day though, Catherine will probably use you as a case study. So <laughs> maybe. <laughs> That's awesome. There's just such a great conversation happening tonight. Kelly, go ahead. Let me follow what Amanda was saying and kind of support what you're saying because every, like, when you come into, like, central lymphatics, you're talking, like, everybody will hear it said, lymphatics help break down fats. Well, what, what they really do is they actually help process, like, a, like create what's called chylomicrons, and Kyle, you'll hear that. But those chylomicrons carry a lot of nutrients to the body. And if you have a central lymphatic issue where you're leaking or with me like the thoracic duct, those chylomicrons are intentionally meant to get directly to your heart, your liver, I mean, to your, your heart, your other organs in your body, your muscles. They use those fats. But one, the particular fats, the phospholipids, because I've been looking at, since this happened, gotten back into the deranged lipid process, what... Amanda said is absolutely true. Like they're talking bipolar issues, schizophrenia issues, ADHD issues, depression issues. 
are deranged within the phospholipid process. The reason they're not getting there is that when you look at the research, they start in the liver. The liver needs those phospholipids from our lymphatics to make that happen. And so, um, and if it doesn't happen, these things can happen along with a multitude of other issues. Um, multiple sclerosis, that's one of the, that's 2022 research right there is deranged lipid. Where does that happen? And so, um, these, there's a, and the good thing is there's research out there just getting it moving forward. And so like one thing, I, I think I said, I'm going to make a video kind of cut down explaining scientifically. And eventually my goal is to create like a lot. There's a lot of diets for lymphedema. Most of those are weight loss diets. I'll be honest with you. Like, and that's a good thing. If that's your issue, you need to lose weight. But if you have lymphatic issues like me, I can eat what the hell I want and not going to lose weight. I mean, I, I remember talking to a nutritionist once, and this is why lymphatic people, people with lymphedema usually have a bitterness or, a, or you live in defense mode. I remember talking to a nutritionist about like what I should be eating. I showed her my food log and she's like, if you eat that, you'll lose weight. And I said, I'm not losing weight. And I was like, no, I was like, this is not happening. And then I said, so what if my lymphatics are broken? And you see this glaze come over her eyes. She said, no, if you eat, because they're not taught. They're, the assumption is, is your lymphatics are working. The reason when you look at a lot of the research about nutrition, they don't talk about lymphatics because they're making a huge assumption that is really crucial. You've heard me say on here, I use my pump to feed myself. I will explain that when I make these videos, but it does because my nutrients cannot get up my thoracic duct. It's full of plastic. And so how does my body feed itself? So that's my goal is actually getting like real diets for, for people with central lymphatic issues that because again it can turn around and help people who have other lymphatic issues because it is it affects the entire body and so yes amanda you are correct when you said there are derangements in our lipids lipid derangement is actually the cause of diabetes i don't know if anybody knows that so these are things that and this is lymphatics so just a little information to throw out there we are living in a time to make changes Kelly, yeah, anytime I can... you want to research with me, you just, you just, you just give me a call up. I'll be piggybacking with you the whole entire way. Cause uh, I, well, I've also went back to school. I'm uh, pretty close to graduating now and what you're reading all of the texts. It's crazy. You're right. All of the literature. Sorry, we're going off on a tangent. Like we always do every round table. So I'm going to go with it. I've been here long <laughs> enough. I've earned it. I've earned it, but it's crazy. It's right. Like in all the texts that I'm reading, the lymphatics are showing up, but they're, it's on the assumption that they're functioning. And it's crazy because like for me, I'm always digging deeper and I'm always looking further into the research and I'm like, they're missing mass amounts of information, but you're right. Like those chylomicrons go into the lymph and then that's it. Like you flip the page and like, there's nothing else. <laughs> those chylomicrons are full of pretty crucial nutrients. And then percent. people are primary. I'm going to be honest with you. Like even Dr. Chen has said, we know you probably have central lymphatic dysfunction. Those are just like, you know, we don't like to go there because they're very difficult. But you can't, I mean, in my, my thing is if you keep ignoring them, you wind up with swollen brain and stuff. And so you, we can't ignore central lymphatics. But I think once everybody understands the seriousness of it, and then there's ways of possibly navigating that with others, mm -hmm. like uh, nutrients and supplements, that's the goal. Great, great conversation. I know we have Leslie Keith in the audience and she's a great resource as well on the topic. And she has a book, The Lymphatic Code, um, that is worth checking out on the topic as well. 
Um, I wanted to swing back to mental health and talk about the concept of reframing your lymphedema treatment and self-care as sort of uh, an affirming like me time kind of thing, like making positive associations with parts of your lymphedema treatment kind of helps in, in my experience, making it a little more enjoyable and something that I, I make time for in my day, like using my, my lymphopress pump, for example, I use that as me time to sort of like, usually I fall asleep eventually <laughs> when I do it, cause I do it at night, but, um, reframing that as a positive thing that I'm doing for myself mentally and physically helps me kind of make more positive associations with my leg rather than resent it, which I had done for so long, especially in my teenage years and early twenties, I was in this like mm -hmm. self-destructive spiral because a lot of that was centered around like the eye of the storm was just my lymphedema. Like I was so upset and such denial about it. I did everything I could to separate myself from that responsibility and from acknowledging that it exists. Um, it was a mess. I was a mess. <laughs> and when I started to work on myself and get back on track with my emotions and my mental health, then my lymphedema health followed. Um, so does anybody else on the panel or in the chat chime in? What are some ways you make your lymphedema treatment part of your self-care? Amanda, I saw you. Twitch your hand. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> I was just like you. It's crazy how we're so similar. The more that we get to do these round tables, I'm like, oh, I'm just like you. My journey always started fixated on the leg. What was I going to do for the leg and the leg and the leg? And then it's crazy. All of my treatments actually made me feel better on the inside. Like it was like, oh, I'm going to do manual lymphatic drainage because it made me feel good. It was less about the leg, but it helped ease the symptoms or being compliant with, compliant with the compression or like learning how to use certain aromatherapies or learning how to meditate. Originally I was meditating to focus on like my brain and, and um, you know, getting out of the depression. And then knowing that it actually helped make me feel better, the leg started to get better. So it's funny, all of my habits started off to treat the leg. And the more that I stuck with it, I st stick with it now because it makes me feel good and I feel better. And that's why I'm consistent. The leg will fix itself. But just that acceptance of like even training, you know, originally, I hated training because I, I was forced to do it, I had to move. And now it's that privilege of I'm allowed to move, I have my body to move, I can move. So it was flipping that script of looking at the things of what I had to do. And now I'm, I do it because it just makes me feel good. And it takes care of my health. And I don't know if that if anyone else can relate. Um, but that's how it started for me. And that's where I'm at now. Yeah. It's kind of like you get, you have the privilege of taking care of yourself. You get to take care of yourself. And when you think about it that way, it sort of shifts the association in your mind. Catherine, go ahead. So for me, I know that if I have more stress on my body, whether it be physical stress or mental stress, it actually affects my overall lymphatic system in terms of the amount of swelling and the amount of fluid that I do have. So um, it's definitely something that I have to kind of plan ahead the best I can when I know I'm going to have a stressful situation to um, such as report card time and extra meetings at work. Um, it's, it becomes very stressful because we're very busy. So with that being the case, I have to make sure that I plan out like if um I know I'm going to have a long day at work. Instead of pumping at nighttime, I pump in the morning, which means that I'm getting up at 4.30 in order to do that because I'm a high school teacher. So, but 
as the panel knows, I tend to put it on uh, the wave mode so I can go back to sleep. So I wake up, put it on and go back to sleep. So this way I'm still getting my rest, but I'm still getting what's needed for me. And ne knowing what's needed for me is important. And sometimes what you think you need is not always the right option. So sometimes you have to juggle the right options and figure it out. But as you're juggling those options, it's important to make sure that you give yourself time to see if those options are effective. You can't just do it once and say, oh, nope, that didn't work. That's not gonna, that's not gonna help. Um, it goes the same way with when you're eating and you're choosing, you know, what works for you and what doesn't work for you food-wise, you got to give it some time. And that's one of the things I really learned from Angela. Angela really helped me with that last summer or a year, two years ago. And it was probably the best advice she could have ever given me. And I still am so thankful to this day for her wonderful advice of check and see what foods cause your inflammation. Because when I don't eat the foods that cause my inflammation, I'm my overall health, physical and mental is so much better. Mind you, there was a lot on that list. So I'm hoping that since I had my thoracic duct fixed, that I will get a new updated list when I get my new results back. And hopefully it's less. We're going to keep our fingers crossed on that one. Funny you brought up Angela, because I was thinking of her too, when you were talking about uh, like giving things time to see if they work, because Angela talks about this a lot on our round tables is, you know, what works for somebody else is not necessarily going to work for you. And that is such an important thing to keep in mind with lymphedema. It's so much trial and error living with this as many of us, if not all of us know, it's a lot of seeing and, and trying different things. And it's, it's easy to look over at your, your neighbor's desk, so to speak, and see what they're doing and what, to, what their answers are for everything. But that's not always what's going to be best for you. Um, go ahead, Angela. When I first got my pump, I was so resentful. I did not want to use it. And because I could not <laughs> except that this is not curable. And I mm -hmm. resented the pump because I saw it as something I'd be attached to forever. However long that would be, I would be attached to that pump. And I resented it for a long time. And I just look at it and I say a few choice words and I'd be upset, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But then I started mm -hmm. looking at it in terms of, okay, you know, you can't cure it, but guess what you can do? And you know the magic word, manage. You can manage it. This is a part of management and I grew to accept it. And I'm sure, you know, at some point, all of us may have resented it. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I've grown to realize that, okay, this is a part of the entire protocol. I don't run off to get all these things. You guys have heard me talk about how I have tried everything under the sun, every tincture, every pill, every mm -hmm. rub, everything, because I could not accept that it couldn't be cured. So now I, I have come to realize, and I realized this quite some time ago, manage it, be okay with it, and just move ahead. And that really, that helps me. That helps my, my mental anguish that I was going through at one point. Go ahead, Fenton. Yes, I'm going to uh, piggyback on Angela. Uh, I, I agree. I have a pump too in my room and there's been many times where I look at it and throw my clothes on it instead of using it. So, um, but don't be afraid to start again the next day. 
and get back into that consistent thing. Because with me, we're, it's so easy to just be sedentary and not do anything and just, just veg out. And, and I love my downtime. Uh, but as people that know me, I'm a very active person for having a stage three primary lymphedema. Um, if I didn't have this, first of all, I probably wouldn't be on this panel. Uh, but if you did see me, you would be looking at my rear because I'd be way ahead of you. I'd be very quick. I used to walk very fast. So um, it's kind of like poetic justice that I had it gotten progressively worse over the years because I was just very a, a quick mover. I was always doing things pretty quickly. But with this condition now, I look again, I want to use the small victories again, like getting back into the pool. That is some something I know we talk about being to show our lymphedema, and I agree with that. Um, I had an amazing story just before the panel started tonight. I had somebody come up to me who's really skinny, skinny legs, but she has a problem, a mental problem of all things, right? I won't get into the details of her, but she says, I'll tell you mine if you tell me yours. So for about 30 minutes, we were talking about my lymphedema problem. And it's like my shell of being like, I want to be normal. I want to be normal. You know, I think all of us here, we just want to be normal and functioning, functioning um, adults or human beings. But I think we're all battling something here. And even if it's not physical, it is mental. So <laughs> you choose. It could be both. It could be a combination, whatever. But, you know, I was able to come out of my shell and really talk about my condition to this, this lady who had um, a, a mental issue. And, and, and she came out of her shell. It was amazing. We had a great conversation. But to go back to the to, to me is just to to just get up and move, to do something, you know. Even like if you're used to sitting in your chair all day long, well, why don't you start going back and forth in your hallway? Just do a little exercise before you even go outside. And then, hey, if you make it outside to a bench and there's sunshine out there and the birds are singing, oh, my goodness, you just made it outside. You know, if you're going to go that far, if you can drive or maybe somebody can drive you to a boardwalk or a park or something, now you're in a park. Now you're in a park, you know, seeing beautiful trees and wherever. You, I mean, I have a whole ocean near me, so I'm very, very spoiled. Of course, you know, I probably have the worst condition of all of us here on the panel, but I can relate to all of you because I just love you guys, <laughs> first of all. But it's I'm a very positive person, and I truly believe I have a this is a blessing what I have because I can actually make you feel better. Because I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this more because it's, it's progressive. It's a, one of those diseases that, you know, I started out as a football player, athlete, guy that used to surf and skate. And I grew up, you know, just wearing shorts, you know, until one day when I was in my 20s and, and you know, I was with my girlfriend and, and I won't even go into details, but we were on the boardwalk having fun. And I remember these kids laughing at me and saying, if I had legs that look like that, I'd kill myself. And we know suicide prevention is a big deal these days. And, you know, I thought to myself, wow, I didn't realize I looked that bad. <laughs> and it gave me a self-consciousness that I, you know, I did, you know, I've always been self-conscious, but not after that was said to me. And, and it's something that's stuck in my head for other people that have lymphedema too, you know? So now I look at it, it's okay 
to express what you have because the people that made fun of me, they're ignorant. They don't know the problem I had. They don't know the problem we have. And now I'm able to let people know, hey, look, I have a little card here. See, you know, you might not believe it, but I have normal legs. They're just underneath the, the red stuff here, the, uh, the lymphedema that I happen to be challenged with in my life. So, um, and that's why all of us here is we need to support each other, but also be advocates. And um, I know I'm, I dig I'm digressing here. There's so much to talk about, but we just need to, it's okay to come out of your shell a little bit. And it's small, it's a, it's small steps, small steps. If you're really afraid, uh, whoever's on the, you know, the, the people out there on the uh, question and answer board, just don't be afraid. Just, just do one little thing to get yourself motivated and get out there and, and do your thing. Um, but recently the pool was mine. I get in the pool and I'm a different person. I'm a, I'm a fish in water. I'm lighter. I feel like a hundred pounds lighter. Uh, I can, I can go underwater, hold my breath for a couple minutes. And I'm like, you know, it's my meditation, you know, it, it's, it, it just, it, that helps with my mental stuff. You know, I don't know how to put it into psychological terms, but you know, I'm a whole different person when I come out of that pool. So if you can get in a pool, go for it. Yeah, we've talked about that many times on the panel, going in the pool is one of the best things you can do with lymphedema because like you said, that, that weightlessness you feel and that's low impact, which is great. Um, we are at 9.01 p.m. here Eastern what? Standard Time. Fenton, lovely wow. having you on the panel this this month. Um, thanks for inviting thanks me. For, <laughs> yeah, of course. Thanks for, thanks for bringing us home with that lovely insight and everybody on the panel and everybody in the chat and watching. We so appreciate you being here. We are here every second Tuesday of the month. Tina says, no way we are over. I know it feels like that every time, but we are. But we'll be here again in June, which is coming up before you know it. Can't believe it's already May. Um, but we, we so love you all being here. I'm going to send out in about a week when we have the recording all polished up and uploaded to YouTube. You'll get it in your email inbox and there'll be links to um, register for the next roundtable if you haven't already. Uh, next week is the Lipedema Patient Roundtable if you're interested in that. It's another great evening. Um, and we're just so grateful y'all are here tonight and being vulnerable and having these conversations, even if you're just watching, you know, we're, we're just so glad you're here. So thank can I may, you. Uh, have a quick, can I say a quick quote from Mark Twain? Is there anything quick with you? <laughs> no, but this is Mark Twain. The, the, no, the, secret, the, the, secret of, the secret of making progress is getting started. Oh, I love that actually. That, is, that was worth that was worth going over two minutes for. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. Don't be afraid to get started tomorrow, whatever that looks Happy like. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day for those, all those moms and all those mom figures. We love you. Have a good night. Bye. Good night. Bye bye. bye.